Jesus. 
give them that. What was it for? Jesus knew that these three disciples in particular, John, uh, Peter, and James, were going to be key witnesses to him. Their work was going to be vital and going to be very witness to the reality of who Jesus is and what he had come to do. And Jesus knew that they would need assurance as they made their way with him to the cross. Because at the cross, things were not going to be as they appeared. Jesus will be betrayed at the cross. He will be um, arrested. He will be mocked. He will be spat upon. He will be crucified. It will appear as though Jesus had lost and the disciples with him. But what's real isn't always what's seen. And Jesus needs to make sure his disciples knew that appearance would give way to reality. In fact, what was real was there all along. Jesus' identity as the Son of God. Jesus will suffer and die and be vindicated and glorified when he returns. That was the, the message that he had spoken plainly prior to this in chapter 8, and now the revelation of the glory of the Mount of Transfiguration further reinforces that truth to them. They needed to know that with Jesus, appearance and reality We didn't know that in our own lives, appearance and reality can be two very different things. Appearance can often mean, if we go by what we see alone, that it feels like we're never going to make it. <laughs> that what we that we know we know is real. Yes, we're children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, glory awaits us, just as glory um, was revealed to us in Christ. Yes, we will hear the well done, good and faithful servant one day. We we know. By faith that that is real, but appearance surely doesn't seem to line up with it. And so we need the revelation of God's glory that we have here on the Mount of Transfiguration. We need to know the account. We need to take to heart the fact that Jesus, appearance, and reality are often two very different things. And so there's uh, four lessons, two things, two headings that I want to look at, first of all. Uh, four lessons
dividing the Old Testament, which was for them their Bible. The Law and the Prophets. So here's Moses, here's Elijah. Both Moses and Elijah had a mountaintop experience with God. Both Moses and Elijah had seen uh, the glory of God, but in the presence of the glory of God, I should say. And here they are representing the Word of God. The Old Testament. Law and Prophets. Their presence with Jesus on the mountain confirms the continuity of Jesus' teaching with the Old Testament. Everything that they had written pointed to Jesus. Jesus tells us that in Luke chapter 24, after his resurrection, he's on the way to Emmaus. The two disciples are on the way to Emmaus. Jesus appears to them. And he begins to teach them how all the law and prophets pointed to him. Their presence confirms the continuity of Jesus' teaching with the Old Testament. Their disappearance, when they disappear, at the end of the scene on the Mount of Transfiguration, that confirms Jesus' fulfillment of the Old Testament. All the sacrifices that were present under the law pointed to Jesus. All the blood that was shed on all the altars pointed to the blood that would be shed on the cross. Jesus is the final sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb of God. All the prophecies of the prophets in the Old Testament found their fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 5.17 in the Sermon on the Mount, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Second lesson, Jesus is the final word from God. Take a look at verses 7 and 8. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. So you've got the cloud and you've got the voice. The cloud is the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory of God. In the Old Testament, wherever this cloud appears, it represents the presence of God. It was the cloud that led the people by day through the through the wilderness at the time of the Exodus. It was the cloud that filled the tabernacle such that Moses could not enter it. It was the cloud that later would fill the temple, Solomon's temple, such that the priests couldn't enter it. This is the very presence of God. Peter, James, and John are there Go back and read Exodus 33. Moses longed to be in the presence of God. Moses asked God, show me your glory. And God said, you can't see my glory. No one can see me and live. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by you. And only in that way did Moses live. No one could be in the presence of God. No one that the priest couldn't enter the Holy of Holies without a rope tied to their ankle. Lest they offer the sacrifice wrong or come in themselves unpure and die in the presence of the glory of God. And need to be pulled out. And here's Peter, James, and John.
Jesus is the final word from God. From the clouds they heard a voice, and the voice said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. That's in verse 7. Listen to Him. It's the voice that was heard at the baptism of Jesus. A voice from heaven was heard that said, This is my beloved Son. With Him I am well pleased. And here, the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses had said to the people, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. It is to him that you shall listen. And there's Moses, in a way, testifying to you with a voice from heaven saying, from the cloud is saying, This is the prophet that was to come. Listen to him. He is the final word from God. The author of Hebrews confirms this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. That's Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. That teaching, and this experience by Peter, James, and John in the presence of Jesus on the mountain provided, it became the bedrock of everything that they would teach. Peter, 2 Peter 1, 16-18 says this, it's talking about transfiguration. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's talking about the transfiguration. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Jesus is the final word from God. The voice of God from the cloud on the mountain confirms that to be the case. Third thing that we need to see here is that Jesus is the very Son of God. If all we said was what I've said up to this point, then you've come away from this thing. You know Jesus was a great teacher. And some really amazing things happened there. And, you know, his teachings seem to line up with everything that was in the Jewish scriptures. But we have two things that happen here that point to the reality that Jesus isn't just another prophet or teacher. He is the very Son of God. God. First, we have the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, but we also have the revelation of his glory. In the Old Testament, when Moses would go up to the mountain in Exodus 34, 24, to receive the law from God, he would come down and his face would shine with God's glory. Right? It would reflect the glory of God because he had been in the presence of God's glory. That would fade, of course. But he reflected something of the glory of God. Here's Jesus on a mountain, not reflecting the glory of God, but emanating the glory of God. He is the glory of God. He is the exact representation of God's being. Jesus is the very Son of God. We get that reminder here from this passage. And then fourth and finally, what will appear to be his failure will actually reveal the ability. Now we 
from the dead. So they kept the matter of themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. In Luke chapter 9, verse 31, Luke's account tells us that Moses and Elijah on the mountain were talking to Jesus about his departure. But the Greek word there is literally exodus. They were talking to Jesus about his exodus, about his departure. They were pointing to what was going to happen in Jerusalem. That Jesus would die, but that he would rise and ascend to heaven. There on the mountain, there was both the reality of his imminent departure and the reality of his glory that he always has, that always had with the Father. And coming down the mountain, after seeing the glory, Jesus says to his disciples, Don't forget.
Mark 1, verse 4, quoting Malachi 3, 1, reads this. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus, in Matthew 11, 13 and 14, says this. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if, if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. So there's the connection. This Elijah who is to come, this this one who will be a prophet who will bring restoration. That is John. And so here's, you know, Peter and James and not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle on the mountain with Jesus. And they see Elijah. And so naturally they think, well, here we are. It's, it's done. The end has come. That great and awesome day of the Lord has arrived. Because there's Elijah. And so they're coming down the mountain. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, don't tell anybody about this until after I've risen from the dead. And they're like, wait a minute. How can this be? And what Jesus says to them is Elijah, that is John, has come. And he suffered. And how is it that you've forgotten the same thing must be true concerning in other words, Jesus is saying here, he's reinforcing what he said back in, in Mark chapter 8, suffering precedes glory for every follower of me. Jesus taught plainly, this is what it's going to be like for me. He says here, this is what it was like for John. And back in chapter 8, he said, this is what it's going to be like for every one of my followers. Understanding the suffering and the glory of Jesus is crucial for understanding our own suffering. Suffering preceded glory for Jesus. And he said that if you are a follower of mine, that will be the case for you. There is no way to think about taking up your cross apart from suffering in some form. We are often surprised by suffering or hardship. Right? I use the word suffering and sometimes we think of you know, you know, really, really difficult, uh, you know, grievous things. But hardship, just the fact that we go through hard things in a broken world. It's suffering. And Jesus says, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you're going to have to take up your cross. Taking up your cross is going to involve suffering. But look, for me, there's this glory that is mine because I am the exact representation of God. I am God in the flesh. But the revelation of my glory will be made plain at the cross. In the midst of the suffering, Jesus' glory was revealed. And Jesus is saying, this is what it's going to be like for you. The glory that I give you as a follower of mine is a glory that is revealed through suffering. God said in Psalm 78, my way is through the sea. In other words, we don't go around hardship and suffering in order to experience the presence and the glory of God. God goes with us through suffering. And it's through the suffering.
fast his way into the tree. In other words, John the Baptist thought the end is here. The Messiah has come. He's going to judge all those that are opposed to God, and he is going to bring into glory all those who are, you know, saved by God. That was John's expectation. What happened to John? Herod and his wife Herodias, you know, he ended up being beheaded. Things did not go the way that John anticipated, and yet Jesus says that was God's plan for John. This restoration that John was pronouncing, this forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ that he was declaring, it ended in his death. But it was in the midst of his suffering that he made that proclamation to the public. And it's in the midst of our suffering, hardship, the difficulties that we face that we proclaim that message of hope. Not just in the big dramatic things, but in the little everyday things that are hard as we look at Jesus. We proclaim in word and in deed a message of hope, of restoration. Of good things that are to come when Christ Jesus returns. Finally, third, in Christ we see all that is real. In Christ we see all that is real. Look back with me in verse 8. This verse struck me as I studied this this evening. Verse 8 says, And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. There's a Transfiguration was a unique 
the glory of Jesus revealed to him, being in his presence, we're invited to experience the same thing through God's Spirit as his Spirit testifies to us concerning Jesus from his word. We experience that we come before God in worship. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3, 19, that we're even invited to experience something of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We shouldn't expect the Mount of Transfiguration. That was a one-off. But we can expect to know something of the presence of Jesus as it's revealed to us in word and sacrament. Being transformed into the image of likeness of Jesus awaits every believer. The well-done and good and faithful servant from God awaits every believer. The glimpse of reality on the mountain was more than just an encouragement to Peter, James, and John. It is an encouragement to us all to remember that there's more to what is real than what can be seen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you again for making sure that this story is recorded for us. But it was a, a revelation that was given to Peter, James, and John on a mountain. But it's also a revelation, a reminder of what we will see one day when we are with you, Lord Jesus, and behold you face to face. Until then, as we live now in the valley, would you strengthen us? Would you enable us to experience something of your presence with us as we come before you in worship with your word up before us? Would you, by your spirit, reveal these truths to our hearts? 